Locked On Browns, your daily Cleveland Browns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Good evening, everybody. Locked On Browns, episode 151. Uh, this actually, this episode actually came together almost perfectly. Uh, the guest we're going to have here tonight, uh, look, Cleveland Browns fans, we need a quarterback. There's just no ifs, ands, or buts about that. We are in the best position to acquire one with the number one pick overall, essentially having the pick of the litter, if you will. Uh, we have somebody, uh, we have Senior Bowl kicking off this week. We have somebody who's done the experience of it. Um, with us tonight, uh, former 12-year veteran, uh, NFL veteran, quarterback, uh, you know, obviously uh, played with a lot of teams, learned a lot of offenses, learned how everything, you know, basically worked offensively, with a, worked with a lot of different minds. Mr. Dan Orlovsky, uh, obviously new to the media side of everything. Dan, how's everything going, and uh, how's the foray uh, into a different type of uh, you know, career for you? Everything's going really well. Thanks for asking. Thanks for having me. Going into a new career is certainly exciting after you know, I've played football for the lab. I've been a football player for 27-plus years or so. So you know, having the opportunity to kind of reinvent myself, although still in the football world, but you know, in another aspect of it is, is encouraging and exciting. Uh, I think the best thing I saw is when I, you know, I first saw that you came on was when you put it into the Twitter bio, you know, about the end zones need to be 11 <laughs> yards. You gotta love a guy who can have a little fun with it, and, and it, it was almost like you were schooled into it because you kind of realized, you know, I mean, first time, you know, some troll didn't like an article that certainly would have been the retort they came with. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's it happened a long time ago. It's a very, it's 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 a, you know, it's a laughable play now that we're so far removed from it, and. You know, my thing is, I don't. If people really want to throw that at me, have at it. You know, I, it's I have a lot of other good things that I've been able to be a part of and whatnot. So I just try to have fun with that. You know, if you, I guess if you think about it, if they were 11 yards, the narrative would be drastically different. So you know, I just I try to laugh at it. You know, life life is life, and and uh, try to have a little fun with it, some stuff that doesn't go your way. I mean, it's the only way you can do it. You know, I mean, kind of. You know, you got lemons. You know, kind of make some lemons. Sure, sure. Stuff. And I like to laugh at myself. So well, there you go. Absolutely. I mean, hey, if you can't laugh at yourself, nobody else is going to listen to your jokes. Uh, look, the most discouraging thing, I think, with this Browns season was with the team that was 1-15 the year before, you know, it had had a, you know, brought in some quality young players. They had a good free agency. They had another good draft. And then out of nowhere, you get an 0-16 season, which is rough enough as it is. Um, Dan, I, you know, sadly, you know, you were part of having to wear the 0-16 crown. How exactly does that weigh on you? Because, I mean, here in Cleveland, there was a parade after it. I understand some of the intention of the parade was good. You know, a lot, you know, a lot of things, you know, collected, you know, food for, you know, the homeless, that type of stuff, which is great. But a lot of the players were PO'd, and maybe it was just because of how fresh it was. But, I mean, look, nobody wants to go through a season, you know, winless as it is, but let alone an NFL season, and especially in a city where, in Cleveland, where it's been this difficult, and now, you know, you basically put up the worst season that's ever existed in Cleveland Browns history. Yeah, it's, it's not an easy situation. It's one of those things, you know, you always hear in sports the proverbial monkey off someone's back. Well, this is a monkey that is forever attached. You know, you'll never be able as a player to remove this from your name. You'll never be able to take it off of your resume. And so I've, you know, I've had to be someone who's experienced that. And, you know, I'm almost a decade removed from experience that season in Detroit. And I still, to this day... I don't know if it's every day on social media, but often get reminded of it by somebody, you know, who has to say something. So it, it's never going to leave. Now, the, even the more significant aspect is that 
we are in the age of social media. And so it's even more rampant and it's even more apparent and, it, and people are more aware of it. You know, in 2008, you know, there wasn't really Twitter or anything. So <clears throat> the news of it didn't spread that fast and that rap rampant and people didn't understand it as much and, and weren't able to dive in as deep where the fans nowadays, there's you're so much access to technology about it. People are, they knew so much more about it. They they were able to make fun of it so much more and, and attack the people individually as players on that team. So these guys, it's it's going to be a long, long road for them, whether a guy is done playing or whether, you know, they're going to continue to go on in their career. They're, they're, they will automatically be labeled unfairly as losers because of this past season. And that's the thing. You absolutely have the yin and the yang of it because you have a Joe Thomas, actually another guy like you who's starting to dab his feet into maybe what may be a post-career for him. But then you also have a lot of first and second year players in, you know, I mean, you think you're going to the NFL, you're getting paid, you're going to win some games. And then all of a sudden, you, you know, there's some guys here who were drafted in the 2016 NFL draft and their career record is one in 31. I mean, it's got to be tough to deal with. So, you know, and the last thing you want to do is, you know, wake up every morning, open up a social media account and have a hundred reminders of, you know, just yeah. how bad your team's been doing. Yeah. Uh, I guess we'll go to this angle now. Uh, Dan, obviously you were a senior bowl guy. Uh, everything started off there today. Uh, you know, there's no bigger, you know, skeptical, skeptical as far as the draft process. Obviously, you know, the, the combine, but this actually involves, you know, the playing of the game, pads popping, all that type of stuff. Uh, try to give some talk about the experience. And now, obviously, with when you were there, it was a long time ago. It's only grown and it only continues to grow. I think they said there was something, you know, like you know, one thousand plus just general writer scouts, not to mention all the NFL personnel. Give some talking to that and about how much pressure it is to get in there and, you know, you're getting basically patched up with 40-something people that you don't know and you got to find some way to put together some really good football really quickly over a four-day period. Yeah, you know, I've always been kind of fascinated with that. I went there as a senior and, and, you know, I've got a piece getting released here soon on The Athletic that kind of write about my experience on it. And, and, you know, I went there with a little bit of hype and expectation and I was a small school guy that went to UConn. And so this was, you know, it was going to be my moment that I was going to prove, okay, I belonged. And I, I really just, the wheels fell off for me as a performer. I did not, I did not do well. I, I didn't look like I could have played college football. And so, you know, it, it was a really, really difficult time for me while I was down there, but it was incredible, incredible learning experience because the senior bowl is kind of this, you know, this microcosm, this, this small society of what the NFL is. It's the, the senior bowl is pressure packed. It's demanding. It's high intensity. It doesn't care what you did before. It doesn't care what your name is. It, it demands everything on out of you in the classroom and on the field. And it's incredibly difficult to go there and be successful. Well, that's the NFL. And I think that the NFL kind of does it the way they do in Mobile for that specific reason. You know, I've always wondered, well, why is it in Mobile? Like, you're the NFL. You can go anywhere you want. Why is it in Mobile? And I know, well, the, the community impact and whatnot. The NFL could could figure out a way to get it somewhere else. I think they take it down to Mobile because it's a little bit different. It's not the perfect climate. You can get some yucky weather this time of year down there. And so guys got to travel in there you you fly into pensacola sometimes and you drive over and then bang you're in there and it's you know it's you're with these coaches that you don't know and you have to learn an offense or a defense that you don't know in a short period of time and then you've got to acclimate yourself to players that you don't know and then 
you've got to answer all these questions and go through all these different processes. And it's as a player, it's such this uncomfortable experience that is hard and difficult and day-to-day and demanding. And that's what the NFL is. And so I, I think that the NFL has done a really good job of using this this senior bowl, this this all-star game is certainly an evaluation for the for for the players as as players as the physical skills, but I think there's so much kind of hidden variables in there when it comes to you know also the other information that they're able to gather that truly matters at the NFL level. Okay, let me ask you something. Who was your head coach? My head coach was Norv Turner, and my offensive coordinator was Steve Sarkeesian. Interesting, interesting, interesting. Mm-hmm. Obviously. You know, now it's like, you know, think, kind of funny how things were circled. You know, Steve, you know, had his own program college-wise. You know, now, you know, back, uh, didn't have himself a greatest showing in Philadelphia about two weeks ago. Sure. Yeah, just funny. And, you know, obviously, Norv, you know, forever the sta- you know, standing the test of time. Cause, yeah, you know, no doubt. So many NFL teams are just so afraid to think outside the box and try something new. And that's how the Norv Turners of the world at their age still end up <laughs> you know, with OC jobs. Just sure. it's funny. Sure. You know, what? world's world's a flat circle. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's I, you know, I think that there's an aspect of the NFL. You know, it's as a general manager or coach, it's you know, it, history repeats itself. So if you can get good coaches, get good coaches, and then you know, it, it's a scary thing if you're one of those guys that okay, I'm going to try something totally different because a lot of times in the NFL it doesn't work. So I can understand them, you know, going okay, this guy's a good coach. Let me try to just go put good players with them but you know then then you do have some teams that go a little bit away from it and and you know march to the beat of their own drum and have a little bit of success so you know that's what that's what makes general managers the guy that they are okay before we get into the cover some a little bit of the individual quarterbacks guys you're listening to locked on browns i told you i'm going to keep promoting the other shows that are still alive and then there were two uh my good friend mark schofield does a great job at locked on patriots uh former college quarterback himself uh mark keeps it a lot more than just Patriots. You get a lot of more, you know, offensive analysis. You guys should really check that. Locked on Patriots with my buddy Mark Schofield. Now, Dan, as we move on, uh, I wanted to ask, before we actually get into individual quarterbacks, as far as, you know, how, what do you look for, you know, evaluation-wise? You know, what stands out to you? Do you want to look at third down numbers? Do you want to look at, you know, completion percentage? You know, you know how, you know, can the guy consistently make this throw? What What's the first thing that catches your eye when you're looking at somebody, you know, as far as, you know, a trait they have or something they're doing on the field? Are we talking college guys or guys at the NFL level? Well, these are going to be the guys, you know, I mean, for you, it's probably, can this guy make the throws that he's going to need to make through on Sunday, I'm assuming, right? Yeah, so, I mean, for if, if, I'm, if I'm a guy, you know, I've, I'm a quarterback guy, so I've always watched kids coming out of college. And, you know, I, there's things that are are irreplaceable. They're like the sun rising, that if you want to play quarterback consistently in the NFL, you need to be able to throw with accuracy. You need to be able to throw guys open. You need to be able to throw with timing and anticipation. You need to have good enough arm, uh, big arm. If you have a big arm and you can do all those other things, well, then you've got Matthew Stafford. Then you've got Rodgers. If you've got a big arm and you can't do all those other things, well, then you got like Jamarcus Russell. So arm strength is is a little bit lower on the list for me than, than those other variables. You need to be able to mentally understand football, offensive football, and defensive football equally as well. You have to understand what defenses want to do, what specific guys on defenses want to do and should do per 
coverages and blitzes. You need to understand how to attack defenses. You need to understand, you know, the variables of offenses that make the, the, the little things that make offenses go. You, you need to be incredibly mentally tough, both handling success and handling failure, because handling failure in the NFL at that position is a guarantee that will happen. You need to be able to, you know, I think personality is a huge thing. Can you get the 21-year-old that's the same draft class as you and he's a second-round pick? Can you get him to follow you just as much as the 30-year-old who's played for nine years and made $25 million? So I think the personality aspect of leadership, but genuine leadership and um, diverse and and dynamic leadership, do you have that? So there's the, 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 the... if you take the right arm off of guys, I think that's so much more important than the arm. Okay. All right. I get it. Now, as far as when you first walked into an NFL camp, I remember, you know, first year I played college football, I got handed a playbook, and it was like literally be handed, you know, being handed the yellow pages. And it was like, bro, I think we ran 16 plays in high school. You know, and, and then I, you got this, and, you know, yay high, you know, could have added, you know, four inches to my height if I stood on top of it. What was it like when you got that first NFL playbook and, you know, just, oh, man, you know, I mean, give me the reaction and, like, you know, how could you handle it? Yeah, you know, I was super fortunate that in high school I ran a pretty pretty good offense, and then in college I did as well. So, you know, the mental aspect of the NFL and its playbook, as far as the detail of it, wasn't overwhelming to me. Now, I was surprised of how many plays were in there. But it wasn't an overwhelming thing for me. I wasn't go. I didn't have to go. Whoa! Because I was fortunate. I was truly, truly fortunate to have the coaching that I did. Now, you, you, it, you quickly, you quickly can tell guys that are going to be able to go pick up an NFL playbook and the guys that are going to struggle with it within ten minutes of sitting in a room with them and getting them on a board. It's it's a very obvious thing. So, you know, I, it, playbooks vary. Coaches vary. Your ability to pick up that information varies. You know, I don't. I don't necessarily think learning a playbook for most quarterbacks in the NFL is, is, you know, the thing that is the most challenging for them. I think the thing that's most challenging is taking the playbook, putting it on a board, and then taking the board and putting it with moving people, and then taking the moving people and executing against them. That's the real challenge: is finding the guy that could take go from the room to the field and be the same person because. I've been in rooms with guys who are really smart, and I'd sit there and go, wow, this dude on the board is brilliant. I mean, he's really good. And then we get to the field, and he stinks. You know, So there's, you've, that's the challenge for guys who are trying to find quarterbacks is to truly take the guy who can be the same person on the board that they are on the field. Yeah, I mean, and that also comes down to, you know, obviously field vision, you know, and that's where athletic talent and those things are going to come into the equation, right? Yeah, I mean – you know, I think that it, it, that's what's the challenging part nowadays, and it's obviously spoken on a lot, is trying to figure out quarterbacks that are coming from spread offenses right now. Is You know, I used the example. Someone asked me I, I, someone asked me the other day with Brady how he goes about, you know, still being his age and, you know, very limited in his mobility as far as outside the pocket. And I said, Tom Brady was never athletic. He was never able to use his feet as a weapon. So he's got, he's 40 years old. He's probably played quarterback since he was, let's say, six years old. He's got 34 years of accrued reps playing a very specific way. And he's got thousands, hundreds of thousands of reps seeing things and reacting to things because he's had to play that way. Well, then you take a guy like 
you know, let's use Baker Mayfield as an example, who is so creative and so athletic. And as much as of that is a blessing, it's also going to be a little bit of a curse for him because he's never been forced to truly play from the pocket and exhaust stuff and see the field and see windows, how they open and close because he's been able to be so creative. Now, you can do that a little bit at the NFL, but we see it. We see the guys who are the super creative guys. They get hurt. They can't last that long. Now, maybe a special, special, special specimen like Cam Newton can, but even he's starting to show some attrition with it, right? So, you know, I think that's that's the difficult aspect for those guys is they don't have those, – those years, they matter. When you're 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, playing position from the pocket and seeing things – all those reps for your eyes matter when you get older. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, you know, it helps with the processing, and obviously, we move from you know option A, you know, one, two to three, and down. And it's funny because you know everybody always says, you know, oh, well, Tom Brady was a great high school catcher. Well, I got news for you: if Tom Brady was an elite athlete, he would have been a great high school shortstop. Yeah, obviously, he didn't move very well. That's why they put him behind the dish. Exactly, he's always played in a phone booth, and that's why he's so good back there. Is I mean, think about it. He's been doing. If you say he's been doing it for 35 years, let's say he did 10 reps every day for half the year. Just say 10 reps, which is such a low number, right? That's 180 days times 10. So you look 10. You're looking at 1,800 reps times 24 or 25 or 35, right? Yeah. And right there alone, you're looking at tens of thousands of reps, and that's on the low end. So again, that you can't. You can't get back those that time and those reps that he's got and Rodgers has got and Breeze has got and Carson Wentz has got. Those guys that have always been pocket guys. And that's not saying, listen, I know that the, the, the position's a little bit more athletic, but is it? Is it that much more athletic than the days of Randall Cunningham and Steve Young? It's not that much different. I mean, we there's just more guys doing it, but the, the athleticism isn't that different. No, and then the other thing maybe has to do with, you know, maybe just, you know, today's athlete is obviously legit, you know, is a more athletic than, you know, obviously way back in the day. You yeah, know, those guys were, and we'll see know. how many of those guys have sustained success as well. Like how many of, of those guys truly are going to have 10, 12 years of sustained success playing that way? Yeah. Now, before we get into these guys, one listener did want to know this, who uh, obviously, you know, to be in the league as long as you were, who would you say was the biggest aid as far as you know helping Dan Arlowski continue to learn and then learn to contact you know basically you know be you know a guy who can help quarterbacks underneath him and a guy that you know when his contract was up other NFL teams said look I want to get him in here because I know he can help the QB room was there one guy or one system that you think aided you in staying in the league that long yeah you know like I said I was really fortunate to have a really good baseline of football and even then college I had really good teaching from Randy Edson my head coach and a guy named Rob Ambrose who's the head coach at Towson University but as far as like my NFL experience I'll say Gary Kubiak I went to Houston as a free agent right after my fourth year in Detroit and I had no idea what playing quarterback was like in the NFL I mean I had been through three systems in four years three didn't have three different head coaches in four years just not good offensive teaching and offensive football in, in my first four years at Detroit. And so I go to Houston and it's almost like I'm a rookie all over again. And I I get there and I I think that 
I think that I know what I'm doing. I'm at practice and this and that. And Gary Kubiak held me to such a high standard with every single thing that I did on the practice field and in the meeting room that I had to totally change my outlook on playing the position in the NFL, totally change how I, I thought I prepared really well, not till I got to Houston. I thought I was really, really smart and detailed, not till I got to Houston. I thought that I practiced well, not till I got to Houston because Kubiak demanded so much of you on the practice field. He demanded so much out of you in the meeting room. His standard level for you was so high that I truly, I truly understand how important, understood or learned and understood how important the position was in every single aspect of it. And I think that was a really big impact for me as an NFL player to really, truly get into studying and preparing week in and week out. And, you know, I shared my time there with Matt Schaub, who's still playing. And, you know, him and I, you know, kind of really, you know, Matt was still playing at a high level, kind of took off and, and truly went to the next level, I think, because of Gary Kubiak. Uh, and Gary Kubiak, uh, almost everybody I talk to says, you know, if Gary's health is where it's at, he would still be a head coach in the NFL. It's just a question of it's just taking too much of a toll on him right now to, ha- you know, to have that much of a commitment. Yeah, um, I mean, he's 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 a phenomenal head coach. Phenomenal. If, if, if the NFL is better with him in it, absolutely, and that seems to be consensus. And you know, I talk with a lot of the guys out in Denver, and they just you know forever will rave about Gary Kubiak. Uh, I guess we'll go since you brought the name up first. Uh, you know, Heisman Trophy winner. I don't think anybody has done more as more for building a resume to a future pro career and let you know probably if we just want to go with the 17 season than Baker Mayfield. I, I think is what it was. Is everybody was always oh well, let's see you continue to do it. Let's see you continue to do it, and just you know put together a rock star season. Uh, you know basically you know new cast in Oklahoma. Not much really changed. Still put up the monster numbers. I still hate the Rose Bowl game that they took the ball out of his hands late in the game and basically made him. You know, I got a standard buyer, so to speak. So going with Baker, uh, and obviously, you know, got down to Mobile today. You know, showed up a little late, but you know, was a man of his word. I'm going to be there for practice, and he did was able to get himself down there. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things that I think you know people are going to fall in love with him. Someone in the NFL will fall in love with Baker Mayfield because of the intangibles, because of the moxie, because of the chip on the shoulder. So I think the good things that he does, and I and I watch these guys. I mean, I watch these guys play because that's what I that's what, who I am. So, you know, I think the things that he does well, outside of the obvious stuff, that he's incredibly creative, right, and incredibly competitive. You know, I, I, he's got a legit arm. He can, he can legit throw the football. You know, I do think that he understands concepts. I think he understands – football and offensive football and how to attack defenses. Uh, he, he can play with a good base throwing the ball often. Now, the things that he are, are going to be quote-unquote cons or that he certainly needs progress in is he doesn't throw guys open often. He often waits till they get open. That would be a big, big deal for me to figure out if I believe he can make that next step. He's played in the shotgun his whole life. Now, that's not that big a deal because that's a lot of what the NFL is doing, and, and you could coach that up, but that's still a variable you have to at least pay attention to. He's short, and that's a real thing. Now, people are going to say Russell Wilson. Well, does he have the same off-the-field habits as Russell Wilson? Because Russell Wilson's as good as he is because he's obsessive with his off-the-field preparation and his mindset and his, his, his ability to prepare. Does Baker have that stuff? Because then we can make that comparison. And if he doesn't, if he's not even, 
if he's not close, then let's not even make the let's. It's not even a conversation. So those are some of the things. You know, the thing that would probably be the most alarming to me is as much as you love his personality and you love it, it's also be could be something that holds you back because in the NFL, as a quarterback, when you're loud, you know, when you're loud, I mean by you know, guys who are always yeah, you're you're always loud. You're always there. When it's good, it's great. And when it's bad, whew, hang on, you know. So I think we saw that with a guy like, let's say, Robert Griffin. He was always loud, and it was good when it was good. But man, it was it was it was a I mean, he was a rock star, and it was bad. Whoa, you know. So that would be something I would have to really do my homework to figure out: Does this guy really just have this huge competitive chip, or is there something more that I've got to be a little bit more aware of? Because playing quarterback in the NFL is like the president. It's 24-7, 365, and you know, that's, a, that's a burden for a lot of guys to handle, and a lot of guys struggle with that maturity to handle that. Uh, and that's one thing, and you know, I, I hate that anybody even mentions it with Johnny Manziel, the same thing, but one thing I think Johnny did was got to the point where it was almost to the point where he put an irritation factor in the defenders, and then you get yourself a little nervous where you got a guy, hey, I'm going to take this extra step, and, and I don't care if I get the 15 because this guy has been chirping at my defense all day. And you want to know what, little guy? Let's see if you can take 280 pounds, you know, right up in the chin, you know? Yeah, yeah. So it's, you know, it's it's a different game when you get up there and, and you know, you're playing with you're playing with grown men and you're playing with guys' livelihood who have children and lifestyles and whatnot. So it's it's certainly a different game. Uh, now, I want to go, uh, you know, obviously we have the uh, two, two young, guys, young guys out in L.A. Um, you know, Josh Rosen, you know, People want to write the narrative, whatever, you know, about what he is and what he isn't, which I don't get because, you know, I mean, there haven't been much interviews yet. So I, I hate to hear a label that he's a, a bad kid or that he thinks he's entitled. You know, wash all that stuff away. I mean, you know, one maybe leaks out later in the process. You understand it, but it almost seems like it's predetermined labeling. But as far as you know, quarterback play and physically throwing the ball, I mean, Josh Rosen appears to just be every drop of the goods that there is. Yeah, you know what? It's it's such a kind of um, an interesting thing for me because with New York sitting at the second pick, he reminds me of Eli coming out 14 years ago. I mean, very polished, true pocket passer, makes all the throws, above average arm, but closer to average arm. You know, premier premier feet. You know, as a player, he reminds me a lot of Eli. Now the, ten- the tennis background. Yeah, probably. You know, I, I mean, it sounds silly, but I mean, you learn how to you know maximize power with you know with your base. Yeah, I just I think that if, when you watch him, he reminds me of him. So I don't mind his. I, I think that again, if if Rosen came out 14 years ago, I think he would be viewed a lot like Eli because he's coming out in L.A., which is everything's over overdue, everything's blown out of proportion. He's growing up in the social media era where guys. Like Eli didn't. And so I think that every little thing he does gets scrutinized. Now, like I said, playing quarterback in the NFL is like the president's 24-7, 365. So that is a real thing. But I do think that he, he he's a kid. He's an intelligent kid. And so we can't crucify him for things that he says or does at 19 or 20 years old when he's just – intellectually speaking, when he's just saying stuff, he's going to mature. He's smart enough to mature. He understands it enough to mature. He was saying, he says some stuff that he's 18, 19 or 20. So what? 
That doesn't make him ignorant. That doesn't make him, uh, you know, think that he's better than somebody else. That those things don't. That those. How many nineteen-year-olds think that they're better than everybody? A bunch of them, because they have no idea what reality is, and that's where life experience comes. And I think that's for me. I love Rosen's game. I love it. I think it's tailor-made for the NFL. And so, especially if he gets into an offense that is is similar to an offense like like he would thrive in in in, in my opinion. I think he would thrive in like an Andy Reid type offense. And so, you know, I'm, I, I'll be intrigued to see. I, I think the Giants are a phenomenal place for him because if you're the Giants and you have the opportunity to secure the next ten years, what's the best option to do that? I'm going to take Josh Rosen. You're going to sit behind the guy, the, the, the guy who's done it the best ever in our organization, and you're going to come to this New York market, which can kill you, and you're going to learn how to do it from the guy who's done it better than anybody ever in our market. And so I love his game. I think he's polished. I guess the one, the one asterisk that you could say is, is he as po- is he is he peaked? Is he as good as he's ever going to be? And then the question goes, well, if he is, is that championship play in the NFL. Yeah, I can understand that. And the thing, though, and, and this is what I've been telling a lot of people, and Dan, you'll see this, you know, obviously you're, you know, you got the three boys that are six, your daughter's a little younger. My daughter is a fifth grader now. I know the homework she's doing, and I sit with her, and this is stuff I was doing in sixth and seventh grade. So imagine, you know, everyone says, oh, well, he's a 19, 20-year-old kid. People don't understand that. You've got to accelerate and add two years to that. It's, it, it's not the same as it was because these kids have grown up in an internet era their entire life. They've had access to everything their entire life. It just it comes that much easier because they've been learning at such an earlier age. Yeah, sure. I mean, his I'll, – I'll, I'll tell – I'll show you. I'll say it like this. His personality doesn't doesn't scare me as much as Mayfield's. I think, I I think I that, that playing quarterback in the NFL, you've got to have – you know, his personality is more like Aaron Rodgers to me. You know, Rodgers got a little bit of arrogance to him. He's got a little bit of know-it-all to him. He's well, got he a turns, little bit of. He turns, he turns around after he gets a play call in his ear, and he's got that. What, why are you calling? Yeah, him? he's got a little bit of a. You know, a. Uh, he'll he'll say some stuff that'll grab your attention, but what does he do? He works and he backs it up with his play. So, you know, if if Rosen can go out and back it up with his play, then people are going to fall in love with his personality. Uh, now we're going to move across, uh, you know, obviously the other side. Uh, and I thought, you know, Sam Darnold, whether his intention was to declare the entire time or not, I'm not really sure. But it seemed like any time it came up, you know, he had people around him, and he actually came out in August and said, "Look, as far as I know, I'm going to be the USC quarterback this season after this," which I think is a good thing. Don't put yourself in a position. You know, look, you can always go back. You can leave if you want to. Uh, but Sam, it's a little different. I think, you know, I I think everything you want a quarterback to do whether it's your reads, progressions, things of that nature, I think Sam Darnold is good with. You got some funky footwork. You got a little bit of an odd delivery that, you know, adds to some sailing balls for INT sometimes. So give me some thoughts here, you know, obviously on the Trojan, but, you know, you know, it, good year for UCLA and USC is, uh, you know, going to have two quarterbacks going to go real early come April. Yeah, I, I really like Darnold's game. You know, I think that I don't get concerned with the footwork stuff because that's what coaches are for. You know, so I, I think that <clears> – <throat> Darnold's got that game that it reminds me a lot of Romo's game. He reminds me a lot of Tony Romo, but somehow, some way, it's going to get done. 
Yeah, he's got the he, he, he seems to be a very good football player. He seems to understand, you know, one of the things that figuring out stuff in the NFL playing the quarterback position that's difficult is is does your quarterback does he have the ability to judge speed and angles? And Darnold, when you watch him throw the ball, like the the types of throws he makes, fitting balls up over guys but in front of safeties with touch, with precision, with timing, he he shows me that he could throw with touch or he could throw with he could judge speed and angles. That's a big deal in the NFL. You've got to be able to judge speed and angles because guys run differently. They run at different depths. They run at different lengths of stride. So that's a big deal. So I like. Darnold's kind of natural God-given talent, the ability to throw the ball and stuff. He'll have to go to a place to to be successful. I do believe he's going to have to go to a place with a really, really good quarterback coach. You know, a quarterback coach that's going to spend time because everything about Darnold is just sloppy. You know, it's just sloppy. Even his good stuff is sloppy. You know, even his magical plays are just sloppy. And that sloppy doesn't win in the NFL. And so he's going to have to really refine and refine and refine it's like a golf swing you know when when the he's you can swing and have a sloppy swing and stand on a tee box and hit a good tee ball and think everything's okay until you get to the next tee box and that sloppy you know slices the ball 80 yards to the right play quarterbacks like that it's got it he's truly got to get refined with his feet with his rhythm with his balance and base and platform with his throwing you know that's all got to tie in more now I say this, a lot of times in the NFL, there's, I mean, truthfully, nine out of 10 times, you don't have clean pockets. You're throwing from, you know, funny body positions and off platform. And I think that's what Darnold does best is throw with that. Again, I'll use the word sloppy, sloppy situations. And I think that's going to be a huge strength for his ability to go make plays early on is it's kind of, it's kind of the, the foundation of his game. Yeah, and that's actually, I think it's a good way to put it. And, you know, even like you said with the corrections, because first off, you know, I mean, what do you see with a golfer? You slice it to the left, so you correct so much. Now, now you're slicing to the right. So then you got to correct your overcorrection. You can try to get back, to, you know. So it will be a constant work in progress with him. And I do think I think the sloppy term was a good thing. Guys, uh, locked on Eagles, obviously the second of two remaining Patriots-Eagles Super Bowl, uh, you know, almost a week and a half away here. Uh, Michael Kist, Benjamin Solak, they do a great job with the Locked on Eagles podcast. I know they're really excited, really jacked up, uh, both down at Senior Bowl this week. So, you know, kind of doing double duty, covering the team, covering the Senior Bowl. But go ahead and give the show and the guys a listen because, uh, uh, you know, I know it's going to be some great stuff coming out in the next week and a half. The wild card of all this here, Dan, um, well, there was really two, but uh, we're going to go with this guy here because he is down in Mobile. It seems that everybody wants to throw Josh Allen down our throats. And, look, we all watch, and I watch a ton, and – I don't see a lot of what I've seen to say, oh, my God, this is guy is can't miss. And they keep wanting to shove him down our throat. And here is a guy we knew was a monster, had ridiculous size. He checks in today, 6'5", 230 pounds, hands are over 10 inches tall, and everybody's ready to start the parade. But what up until this point, the one thing we were positive on is that Josh Allen had some really positive size. Yeah, I just – like, this is where – this is where – I mean, I'm not in NFL front offices, but this is where I have I, I I marvel or I just I don't understand organizations in the NFL. So 
I can find a lot of guys that are six foot five, two hundred thirty pounds, and have size ten hands. One of my good buddies is. He would be a terrible quarterback. I I just I don't. Isn't that Tom Savage's size essentially? Uh, I mean, you could go down the list of guys. I mean, I don't understand why teams get so infatuated, and they do it at every position. And I know size matters at certain positions, and there's a there's. There's benchmarks that you kind of have to meet for positions. I get that. I get that. I'm not. But I don't understand how it's just like, well, this guy's big and he's got big hands and he's got a good arm. <sighs> well, let's make him the first pick. You know, like I, I, there's so much more that goes into playing the position. Now, do you have that stuff? Does it help? Cool. Yeah, that's awesome. If you could do all the other stuff. But here's my here, here's my caveat, and I don't know this kid, and I don't know his game that well either. I haven't seen him play a ton, but I just I'll say this: find me a guy who's been a successful NFL quarterback that wasn't really good in college. Well, they, the other guys. they don't exist. They don't exist. They don't exist. I mean, you find a guy, find me a guy that's gone on to be good in the NFL that was just kind of like. Eh, at best, right? At best, kind of meh at college. Yeah, I think of guys like, and again, I'm, I don't want to be disrespectful at all, but I think of a guy like Chris Ricks, who was meh in college. Or I think of a guy like <clears throat> Christian Ponder or Blaine Gabber. Meh. They're just kind of eh. And I'm, if you want to take Josh Allen in the fourth round because of those measurables, have at it. But to discuss him with the top five pick, I'm blown away by, blown away. And that's why, that's why organizations, in my opinion, fail because there's so much more that goes into it than throw the ball hard. Yeah, uh, one of my uh, good friends here in the writer business, he does a ridiculous job with your market shares and that type of thing. You know, it, it values in completion percentage versus, you know, yards, touchdowns, interceptions. And, you know, the breakdown, I'm like, give me the closest guy to what Josh Allen did in college you know, that had some success in the pros. And the only name he could give me was Jake DeLome. That was the only name he could give who was even close, you know, and now obviously, you know, here's Josh just got the arm and all this other stuff. And it'd be one thing, if he was at a smaller SEC school, you know, and every week he was outmatched. But there's no reason he wasn't, you know, the top of the food chain in the conference he was in, but still he had a 56, you know, percentage completion percentage. It took him over time to, you know, throw up a C-note against a team like Hawaii. And I don't even think this is Josh Allen's fault. I think it's media-driven. I think it's writer-driven. And I think it's because he's what NFL front offices whisper to writers about that they want. But, I mean, if you want to risk your job on this guy, man, I'd at least like to have a couple of good football games to watch to say, well, all right, well, that shows me something. Yeah, yeah like like if you want to talk, let's, let's just talk quarterbacks that come from the smaller schools, right? They're not the big-time schools. So Roethlisberger was absolutely dominant. Don't talk to me about his offense or his receivers. He played at Miami of Ohio and was dominant. Uh, Carson Wentz was dominant when he was on the field. Was dominant. Don't talk to me about – are his guys playing in the NFL right now, his receivers? No. You know, I'm, I'm trying to think of some other guys that came from smaller schools that are being uh, a successful NFL card. Alex Smith. Alex. Yeah, yeah, Alex Smith at Utah. You know, but here's an example. What's Blake Bortles? Let's see. Uh, Blake Bortles ended up getting Bashad Perriman drafted in the first round. How's that working out for Baltimore? Exactly. You know, how's Bortles 
Florida is, is the quarterback in the AFC Championship that his team is scared to throw ball with the ball within the second half. But he's six foot five and two hundred thirty pounds, and he's probably got big hands. <laughs> so you know what I'm saying? Like I just, but was he that good in college? Was he that good? You know? So I just get so frustrated with that, where it's like, if if I was here, I'll use myself as as an example. I played at UConn. I was pretty successful there, and I was probably drafted kind of where I should be in the NFL. I was a fifth round pick. I guess you could have made the the case that maybe I should have gone to the third or fourth round, but I and I was way more successful at UConn, probably playing against similar to better competition than Josh Allen did, and I'm the, I was the same coming out of college. I was six foot five, I was two hundred thirty five pounds, and I had size ten hands. So <clears throat> there's there's if if you look at the tape, like that's my thing is watch the tape, watch his. T- don't just fall in love with arms. I can go, I can go literally down to the YMCA right now and find guys that can throw a football decently. You know, it's not this, it's not this incredibly difficult task. I can get guys that can throw it hard somewhere. You know, there's so much more. Can you throw it hard to a specific place at a specific time? You know, in a specific way. And so, the Allen, the Josh Allen, I like I said, I don't want to bash him, and I don't, I don't know his game well enough to sit here and say it definitively. But for us to be, you know, for us to be talking about him as their first pick of the draft with the statistics that he has coming out of his college career, I find, I, I find, I trying to put it into words, it's incredible to me that this is a conversation. Yeah, I mean, it is, and it is rough, and it is on the kid because, you know, I mean, what was it, you know, as a redshirt sophomore, it was, uh, here's a guy that we should look at for a couple of years, had a terrible championship game through five INTs, then there was talk for him to coming out and being the top quarterback in 17, he went back and it was automatic that he was a slam dunk for top five in 18, and he had an even worse year in 17 than he did, the, you know, in 16, so just crazy the way it goes, and it's tough. But well, he's going to get drafted early. I mean, again, oh, oh, just like oh, I'll tell you right now, yeah, he's gonna just like Baker. Early, someone, someone will fall in love with him because someone will, some coaching staff will go, "I can make this guy good." All right, let me put you here on the spot before we let you go, Dan. Cleveland Browns are on the clock. First pick. You got these four quarterbacks. I mean, maybe a Lamar Jackson. What do you do? You, you need a quarterback. You got to change the stage of this franchise. Who are you taking? Well. You know, I'll be honest with you. I I think you try to figure it out before the draft, because do you really think taking one of these guys is the answer? You know, don't you think that there's a better chance of you going to get a guy like Kirk Cousins? I'm not against it. Can you get Eli Manning? Can you get him for another year or two? Because if you liked Kaiser, and that's going to depend on John Dorsey. Does he like? Did he like Kaiser last year? Did he like him? Because if he liked him coming out, you don't bail on him now. I don't. I liked Kaiser coming out. I think he's redeemable. He, he was my number one. I think he went from a terrible situation at Notre Dame to a terrible situation as a rookie in Cleveland. That's putting it kindly, you know. So I, I, I don't think that taking now, uh, I, I will put a caveat or an asterisk in there saying. But if, if if Todd Haley and Hugh Jackson and Elliot Wolf and John Dorsey fall in love with Sam Darnold, then obviously you take Sam Darnold. I think that's what it's going to be. You know, I, that's obviously. I don't think Rosen fits Todd Haley's offense at all. 
I don't think Baker Mayfield, no. Lamar Jackson, no. I don't think you trade the pick. I don't think you hope to get a guy at four. If you if if you if there's a guy that you like, and Rosen's more like Roethlisberger than people think. He's just not as big, but he's got a little bit of the same game, right? I mean, a little bit of sloppiness. Ben's a little bit of a sloppy player in a good way, and so you know I think if if you do like that guy, you take him, and you've got to put good people around him, and you know you make it a competition now. They can't make the mistake that they did this past year. If you're going to take Darnold and you're going to keep Kaiser, you better go get a veteran and you better make him part a good one. And it, it'll cost you money. And you're going to tell him, hey, dude, you're going to be our third stringer, but we'll give you money to do it. Because those guys, those guys are going to need someone. They're going to need someone to help them. Well, Dorsey's familiar with, obviously, with Chase Daniel. He was a guy he drafted. Chase Daniels' contract's up. He's a guy you say, look, you may never play, but uh, you're never going to see $6.5 million a year. So, yeah, and it's and it's it's not an investment. You don't look at it as going, man, I'm giving Chase Daniels $6.5 million. Here, if, if you're a company and there's, there's an asset that you like and you think this asset is going to take your company from this value to this value or this success rate to another success rate, you, you invest in that asset. So that third string quarterback that you're going to come in and give three, four, five million dollars to strictly kind of be a coach, you're not giving that. Oh man, we're paying. It's an and it's an investment into your asset, and your asset is Sam Darnold, if that's who it is. So that's the way you have to look at it: is investing in that asset, not oh man, I've got to give this money to this guy. No, it's it's strictly an investment. And, and you know, and it makes a lot of ten, uh, a lot of sense. Dan, I appreciate you so much for the time here tonight. Uh, I, I got to tell you, uh, just from you know the small time you've been here, you're going to be a ridiculous asset to the uh, football writer community. Uh, to you and your wife, I hope you guys are really good at playing that zone defense. Cause, uh, four on two is a tough number. At least over here we can play a little man on man. Well, I appreciate it, man. It was a lot of fun. I appreciate you saying that. My wife, I'm lucky. My wife is is significantly more talented than me in the, in the parent department. So, you know, I, I, uh, I, I we all got to play to our strengths. Yeah, get out of the way. Get out of the way. All right, all the best, Dan. Thanks so much for your time, guys. Lockdown Browns, episode one fifty one with former NFL vet Dan Orlovsky. Guys, check out all the work. Uh, Dan is with the Athletic Detroit, correct, Dan? Yeah, I write for the Athletic, and then and obviously my Twitter at Dan Orlovsky, the number seven at Dan Orlovsky seven. I'm doing a lot of film breakdown and stuff, so. Yeah, guys, check it out. Dan is. Uh, I'm telling you right now, it's going to be a fixture in the community, a, a big one. Uh, guys, everybody, uh, you know, let's go Browns. Talk to everybody soon. Uh, you know, all the senior ball stuff coming on later in the week. Take care, everybody. Good night.